Welcome, future doctors, to another episode of the Future Minority Doctor Podcast with Dr. Sulma and Marina, where we bring you conversations to empower and inspire you to contribute to your community and the world by becoming a doctor. Hello, future minority doctors. Welcome again. So as you guys know, we've been talking about DO Medical School. So today we wanted to bring you another special guest who is also a DO Medical student. We had heavily concentrated previously on MD Medical Schools, but we want to make sure that you guys know about this other pathway in becoming a doctor. So today we have a medical student, Bianca Silva. She's a fourth-year medical student at Pacific Northwest University Health Sciences Deal Medical School. So welcome, Bianca. Thank you. I'm so happy and excited to be here and to talk a little bit more about my experience. Awesome. So before we dive into what DO Medical School is, we want to know who Bianca is. So if you can tell us a little bit about your background, where you came from, your family, and things like that. Yeah, of course. So I am a first-generation Chicana Latina student. Um, I am currently in my fourth year of medical school, but technically I'm done. I'm just waiting to graduate. So I'm in that sort of phase where I'm enjoying life as it is as much as possible before I start residency and give my soul away. But that could be a different conversation. But my family's from Mexico. My parents emigrated here. And it's a similar story that many other minorities can relate to is their parents came down to provide them with a better life. My grandfather was the first one to come down here. He was making 39 cents a day working in the fields. And then it blossomed into our entire big fat Mexican family. And so I myself grew up in San Pablo, California, Bay Area, and I still live here. I came back from Washington State and I had some time where I lived in Southern California, uh, Newport Beach, Irvine area for almost a decade. That's technically where I was doing a lot of my undergrad work, my post-bac work and living life as it is, the beach life. And I had my big corporate job working at Quest Diagnostics. I had other things under my belt and eventually I just unexpectedly got into medical school tried twice, always knew I wanted to get in and do it. It was just a matter of just getting through certain roadblocks in my life that were keeping me from getting there. So I'm happy to say that I'm going to be the first physician in my family ever. And yeah, and I'm just really proud and excited to be here today. I have just a couple fun facts about me. I have three cats. I'm such a cat person. You might see one behind me right now. I didn't intend for her to be there. And life is beautiful as it is. Medical school will really humble you and realize what's important to life and what isn't. And so I'm just happy to mentor and help anyone else who's going through such struggles, getting in and getting through medical school. Okay. So did you grow up mainly in the Bay Area or was it more in Southern California initially when your parents emigrated here? Yeah, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was born in Oakland. Um, I was a Kaiser baby. So I was born at Kaiser, Oakland. Uh-huh. Um, I always say I'm a Kaiser baby because both of my parents, I've worked for Kaiser oh. as, um, you know, for almost 30 years now. Um, what do they do? My mom is a, she started off as a pharmacy tech 
Um, So she went and got her license for that. And then eventually it became an analyst position or like a secretary analyst position Mm -hmm. in the Department of Adult and Family Medicine. And then my father is actually, he's always been a landscaper all his life. So he's actually a gardener and he does it well. He's also even gone as far as to, to unionize and advocate for his position. That's a whole different story. And then he has a small landscaping business on the side. Oh, that's very neat. Now, did your mom go to college then once she was here? She did. She uh, went to community college at, I believe it was Contra Costa Community College, and she got her pharmacy technician certification. Oh, neat. Okay. And so you did middle school and high school up in the Bay Area in California. And did you know then that you wanted to be a doctor or what were you like in high school? Yeah, so I I always love this question because, you know, I'm not that person who will say that typical answer I always hear is, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. I want to be a doctor because my someone in my family is a doctor and they encourage me. And I think that's great, you know, but for me, for some reason, I just always knew in high school that I wanted to be a physician. And I think part of it had a lot to do with the fact that I was sort of a biology science nerd. And I was always intrigued with the human body and the anatomy and physiology of it. My first exposure to that was in uh, middle school, actually, in seventh grade, we had a science class. And you know, you get to learn all kinds of things about like astronomy and the sciences of anatomy and dissecting pigs and those kinds of things. And I think that I always just saw ahead of me, I never kind of thought of what other people were kind of considering and looking behind or, and then as I grew and moved on to more and more clinical experiences, that's when I realized, okay, do I maybe want to just be a nurse? Do I want Mm -hmm. to maybe be a physician assistant? You know, what are the differences and really just figuring out the pros and cons of it all. And Mm -hmm. I realized eventually that, you know, I do want to be a physician because number one, we all want to help people, but Mm -hmm. I want to help people. And there's only 2% of Latino physicians in the U.S. 2% of all physicians in the U.S. are Latino, Latina, Latinx. And Mm -hmm. here in California, especially, the latest statistics say that 39% of the population is Latino. So there's a huge deficit there that we need to feel. And that was, you know, another reason. And of course, the other reasons had to do with the fact that I kind of want to be the person that calls the shots. I like, I have that type A personality where I like to run things my way. I like to figure out things my way. So when it comes to diagnosing patients, when it comes to playing that Carmen Sandiego role um, Mm -hmm. and figuring out the best treatments for them, that was where I saw myself for the rest of my life. Okay. And when you were in high school, so I get the sense you already knew you were going to go to college. Did you encounter any obstacles? And where did you end up in college? Or what was that experience like? Yeah, so in high school, this was back in 2004. I graduated from high school in 2008. So it might be a little different from the kinds of resources that are available now for high school students. But back then, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of guidance. I think the only closest thing that I remember having was a guest speaker who I think at the time she was doing a master's program. And and so she kind of talked about, you know, the life beyond high school and, oh, this is how college is like, and this is how fascinating it is and that sort of thing. But I, I literally had no idea how or what I was going to do to really make it to getting into a four-year college okay. to get my bachelor's degree first. And so honestly, I just went through community college and it worked out okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I went to Napa Valley College 
and I accidentally got an associate's degree just because I was working through my GED and getting all my science courses through to eventually be able to transfer onto a university at that time. So that would say that was my main challenge in high school was really just figuring out the guidance. The grades came with being passionate about what you were studying. Mm -hmm. I took AP classes. Um, I took AP chemistry and I took AP English to sort of better my chances. And I did pretty well. I wasn't like a 100%, you know, top, top of my class. I didn't have the best ACT, SAT scores, but I, I pulled through and I, mm-hmm. I think I got like average or so, but that was enough to, to get me into four-year college. That's awesome. Yeah, we like to talk about our different because we all have different pathways, how we get to uh, medical school. And everybody's path looks very different. (laughs) And that's fine. And that's why we like to bring that up. So it's kind of neat that you shared that you went to a community college first, because it's hard to know what you want to do for the rest of your life when you're 18. It really is to make that decision. And once you got to junior college or, or community college, where did you end up at then? What university did you end up getting accepted to? So I got accepted to a couple universities in California. I applied all over California, uh, mainly because I wanted to stay here and stay close to family. Mm-hmm. But I, my goal was to get into UC Irvine just because mm-hmm. I had two college friends that I met through community college that are actually were already going there. They had transferred mm-hmm. already. And they were, you know, telling me how awesome it was there and the curriculum was strong and there were a lot of resources and it's beautiful. You know, it's Irvine, it's by Disneyland. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was determined, got into University of California, Irvine. Okay. um, And that was it. But I also got into, I remember getting into San Francisco State. I did want to go to UC Davis, but unfortunately they just did not accept me for whatever Mm -hmm. reason. UC Merced, I got into a couple other universities, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but yeah. I did get some rejections too. And that was okay. Yeah. You know, you just it's part of the process. Forward. <laughs> exactly. Process. And you got into UC Irvine. UC Irvine's a great school. And how was that? Because the transition even from high school or community college, going to UC school or college, I think for all of us, was an eye-opening experience, especially when you come from a first-generation background. How did you do? What kind of things did you go through as a pre-med student? So when it came to going to community college, I will tell you, I actually had to, at one point, go to two different community colleges here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. Napa Valley was my main one because they had a lot more courses to provide because I wasn't just looking towards filling my general ed requirements towards my bachelor's degree, but I was also working towards getting certain science slash math slash chemistry slash Mm -hmm. physics courses under my belt that would eventually count towards my bachelor's degree and also towards medical school, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. And so sometimes Napa Valley Community College didn't offer certain courses I needed. And so I had to drive all the way to Solano Mm -hmm. Community College. And that was a big, that was a big struggle because I, you know, I had been working since the age of 15. And so I was still working at the time. I remember I was working at Chase Bank and I worked, I think I worked at Ross. I worked at Kodak Six Flags at one point. (laughs) And I always had a job because I needed to pay my, um, you know, community college bills. Right. And so the, the good thing about it is that being a, 
a minority and coming from a underserved background, I was able to qualify for some of the state grants mm -hmm. that eventually covered about 90% of the costs of my classes. But you really have to do your research and look into it. Not a lot of people knew about it. Mm -hmm. And it was a call to waiver. I forgot exactly what it was called, but there's just know that there's money out there that you mm -hmm. can look into getting because, you know, we need help. We're students. Mm -hmm. And so making that transition from community college to actual a, a four-year college, I think was a little bit more difficult for me just because mm -hmm. I didn't realize that you really need to step up your <laughs> organizational skills. You really need to step up your ability to stay focused and, you know, get those grades because mm -hmm. it wasn't explained to me in the beginning that you should have a, a pretty good GPA to, to get into medical school. And so I unfortunately didn't realize that uh, a little bit uh later on into my studies at UC Irvine, but that was okay. I made up for it eventually. But those were some of my struggles mostly. And then of course the MCAT is just another monster that that I struggled with, of course. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Dr. Marina and I, we usually talk about how we bombed <laughs> when we first got to college, like we failed some classes and then we were like, oh, this is too hard just because that transition is, it's difficult and nobody really prepares you that failure might be part of the process, right? Be and it's not because you don't have the ability. It's because you you haven't learned the skills on how to do it, <laughs> right? And then once you go, I feel like it took me about a year or two while I was an undergrad to figure out like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to study. Oh, I have to do this now. Um, so it was a, a learning process and a learning curve because yeah, nobody tells you how to prepare for it. And then when you're wanting to go to medical school, yeah, the the grades, how important they are to get in. And then afterwards, the MCAT and so forth. So it sounds like you took gap years in between graduating from college and applying to medical school and you were working. And then you said you had to um, apply twice. What was that process like for you? So I'm glad that you mentioned the fact that you also struggled with that as well, with the whole figuring out your best study habits mm -hmm. in undergrad. And, you know, fun fact about me, I didn't figure that out until maybe my post-back. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I got D's in undergrad. Yeah. I realized, yeah. oh my God, my <laughs> this our graduation. And so I eventually had to do a post-back. I'll talk about that. And again, I had zero guidance mm -hmm. um, towards doing that. And I was so lost. And so I graduated with a GPA of about three point, I think it was like a 3.34. Mm -hmm. And I had my counselor telling me at UC Irvine telling me, mm -hmm. oh, you should consider another <laughs> career. And mm -hmm. bless her soul. Like, I know she was looking out for me, but that just killed me. You know, and so I thought at one point, okay, maybe I should. And then I had, you know, I love my mom, but this is the other thing about like being Latina in this profession is I had my mom call me one night and she said, oh, honey, you know, maybe you should look into being a medical assistant. You know, mm -hmm. it's going to be a shorter career. It'll be a little easier, you know, and then just you can just get your money on the side and maybe start, you know, get married and vice versa. Right. Mm -hmm. And as much as I knew I could do that, I didn't want to do that. And mm -hmm. I 
I just really, really wanted to be a physician. I just wanted to get to that point. And I think I remember at that time, my last year of undergrad, I was seeking for a mentor really bad. Mm-hmm. And so what I started doing is actually, I had colleagues who would tell me like, oh, you should you should look into this mentor program or there was this conference going on at Cal State Fullerton. Um, you should go to these pre-med conferences at UC Davis, which I believe still happen now. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of these sort of experiences that could potentially motivate me and potentially interact with others and social network and all that and find someone who could maybe mentor me or give me some some piece of advice. And mm-hmm. I remember going to Cal State Fullerton one night, and I think it was, I forgot what kind of event it was, but I know it was for pre-medical students. But that's where I... I was having a conversation with one of my my colleagues uh, and bending to her about what I was going through. Like, I don't know if I can do this, if I can get in medical school with this GPA and I don't know what to do. And I've heard of a post back, but I don't even know what that is or what it's what it entails and what kind of classes I should take or if I need to apply, et cetera. And that's when I had this gentleman come to our circle and uh, his name was Dr. Marco Angulo. And a lot of people know him. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a family medicine physician. And back then he was affiliated with UC Irvine School of Medicine. He was a graduate from that school as well. And he just came up to to me and my friend and he kind of shook my hand and said, hey, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. Nice to meet you. And it, you know, the rest was history. And so he made a huge impact when it came to figuring all that out, right? Mm-hmm. So he was so invested in mentoring pre-medical students and other pre-health professions Mm -hmm. as well. But he had a program and he still has it, but it's called the Health Scholars Program. It's based in Southern California. And it really entails, it's a clinical experience program, but it also is a mentoring program. And so he set time aside to sit down with me, look at all my transcripts, look at all my grades. And I you know, he was kind of like doing his research, figuring out like a plan in his head. I could even see the wheels turning in his head in his office that day. And I asked him, okay, what's the damage? And he looks at Mm -hmm. me and says, three years of a post back. You can do it. You know, let's do it. Come on. Mm -hmm. I said, where? And he said, you you, you figure that out. You know, what works best for you? You know, because I was working at the time Mm -hmm. and I, I was still doing some clinical experiences. I was trying to do some research under my belt. I had a lot going on and I knew that if I did a post back program through the consortium, mm-hmm. I would have to give all that up or at least most of that up. And mm-hmm. I knew I could afford that because um, I had to pay my own rent. So I ended up actually finding out about the UCLA extension program. And there's a lot of extension programs around California, but UCLA was the closest one for me and it was cheap. Um, it was affordable. The only problem that I had was that I didn't know what classes to take. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't want to take a course that was really difficult. I knew I had to take advanced science courses, but I didn't know which ones. And so for those of you on the podca- podcast who don't know what a postback is, just a quick definition. It's it's sort of like an add-on program. It could be informal or formal in addition to your undergraduate studies. So you have a separate undergraduate GPA. And then within that undergraduate GPA, you have a science GPA. And so medical schools particularly look at that science GPA because it consists of all the physics, chemistry, mathematics, biology, biochemistry, everything as it entails to that, all those courses to see how well, you know, you did. 
And then when you do a post-bac program, you have that sort of post-bac GPA that gets integrated into that science GPA from your undergrad. And so if you do well in your post-bac courses, the goal is to then increase that science GPA, right? So Dr. Angulo eventually helped me figure out what courses I needed to take. I took a bunch of advanced biochemistry courses. I think I took some physiology courses, neurology, and they had a, a couple, a lot of variety of courses. It was affordable. Just put it on my credit card and paid it off eventually. I think it was about $1,000 per course. And I did it, you know, and I eventually was able to raise my GPA from a 3.34 to, I think, at 3.87. And so that was, I think, what was really getting me through the door in medical mm-hmm. school. But it was, it was difficult, you guys. I mean, it's easier said than done. That's when I realized, like, okay, I need to get my my stuff together. You know, mm-hmm. no more playing around, Bianca. You can't fill a course. You can't get a D. You can't walk into an exam and not having had studied for it. And yes, I'm mm-hmm. of doing that because I, I didn't get, I have my priorities straight. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't say it. But in my post-bac program, I was so dedicated to, to making sure that I would at least get a B in every single course because um, I would calculate in advance what my future science GPA would be mm-hmm. if I, I got, you know, those grades in those courses. And so I set those little mini goals for myself as I was continuing on. So how many years was it that you took for gap years after graduating then? Was it three years or was it longer before you got into medical school? It was five years. Five years. Okay. I did the same. Okay. <laughs> and then when you you were you did the MCAT, you did the postback and you were ready to apply, did you know you wanted to do a DO school or did you apply to both? Because I didn't even know what a DO school was when I was going to apply to medical school. I thought it, there was only MDs. So I learned about DO. Gosh, I'm embarrassed to say this. I think until I was in residency. <laughs> um, yeah, believe it or not. I mean, it, it's been always like a I just sink or swim what has been my life, right? When you similar, and I know you understand that. So did you know you wanted to apply or maybe Dr. Angulo probably mentored you also as well? I don't know. How was, how did you end up applying to the DO school? So I, I remember thinking, okay, I definitely wanted to get into an MD school. I sort of knew what DO schools were at that time, but I guess I was sort of biased in a sense where I, I thought to myself, no, I just want to do MD. Like, what is this osteopathic thing? No, I don't want to like do this alternative thing. That's not what I worked so hard for. Let me just do the MD thing and then try to, to get into an MD school. And then I'll do the DO thing as a backup, you know, I'll apply to some schools and then we'll see. Because I did know, I did my research back then and I sort of looked on YouTube and sort of got other people's explanations of of what the differences were. And I heard a lot about DO schools. They're not necessarily bad. It's just that Mm -hmm. it's a different sort of curriculum, number one, right? And I didn't know this then, but I realized this going into medical school is that there is this stigma in that, and, and it's still there, but it's not as, as much, uh, in that DO students, medical students, should ideally take the MD board exams as well, on top of their mm-hmm. DO board exams, which is what I did. And in order to be just as competitive as MD medical students for residency, and unfortunately that was still the case for me, thank God I matched, but you know, 
in a sense, we had to work twice as hard. But going back to your question, that was where my sort of goal was when I was applying. And then I thought, okay, and if I don't get into a deal school, then I'll, I'll go to the Caribbean. So I'll consider, you know, University of Guadalajara was like uh-huh. always knocking at my door, like, hey, we want you, come here. Yeah. You know? um, and there's nothing bad about that. I just didn't want to go to another country and leave my family. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't, I will say that what I do regret is not knowing someone or finding someone who had a deal license and would could mentor me under their belt, right? Because Dr. Angulo had a degree and he could only say so much about what osteopathic medicine was, but really like seeing it in action in the clinic mm-hmm. is something I never got to see and understand until I actually started school. And so, as you know, you know, I eventually ended up in a deal school. And I remember when I got in, I was like, oh, at least I, I got into one school at least, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I applied to about, I think, 40 schools in total. And most of them were MD, but uh, some of them were DO. And I'm happy to say that if I were to do it all over again, I would have just applied to DO schools. Yeah. Yeah, I think like before there was, um, and there still is, I work with people who are with the colleagues who went to DO school, but honestly, like doing residency, it really is the same thing. I see no difference. I think the education is just as good, right? I, I just didn't know about it. So I love that there's this other option so we can get more doctors out there, right? And it's even becoming more competitive, like almost very competitive to get into D school as well. So it's not where before they said, oh, it's not a, no, I think it's very competitive. Now we've looked at like average MCAT scores, average GPAs, they're still very high, you know, and we love this idea because now we want to incorporate this into like also guiding students, because just like you had your mentor, we haven't been so much exposed to DO medical schools as well, but now it's changing. I actually have a lot of friends that, that are even teaching now in, med, in DO medical school. So it's really awesome. Um, and then once you got into the school, which is in Washington, right? Your medical school was in, is in Washington. Yeah. How was that experience like for you going through all of that? So, you know, I, I just realized I neglected to say, I forgot to mention that when I was in Southern California, I was actually working with a doctor of chiropractic and he he was a really good friend of mine and I became his office manager eventually he trusted me enough to put me in that position but he sort of exposed me to some of the techniques that he would do in clinic the adjustment techniques and mm-hmm. the manual therapy techniques massage therapy as well and Can you explain all that just for our listeners that just because you're relating it to DO because that's something that you know, Dr. Marion and I don't really know because we didn't get, uh, we didn't yes. have it. But yeah, can you explain because, so that way, because I know you're connecting it to what you were doing in medical school. Yes, of course. And then I'll answer your next question. Yeah. But So there's different core techniques under osteopathic medicine, right? So there's manual therapy, which essentially involves using your, your hands and manually adjusting a joint or articulating a joint back into its normal position or readjusting a tissue like a muscle, a tendon, cartilage, all that. We call it fascia. It's basically what's under your skin. It's fascia, aside from all those blood vessels and nerves that you have there. But all of that is interconnected and we use our hands to manipulate it 
in a sense to where it wants to go or to where it doesn't want to go. And there's just a lot more science to it, but that's healing in a sense. There's also what a lot of people consider is quote unquote, cracking your back is the medical term for it is adjustments. And so we were trained in doing that as well. We can adjust your neck. We can crack your back, your spine, your hips, your fingers, everything. And then we're also trained in not necessarily massage therapy, but uh, there's a different term for it under osteopathic medicine. That's just, it's not coming to my mind right now, but it there's different terms for it as well. All in all, it involves really just working on the body as a whole with your hands to, to heal that person. We also learn lymphatic techniques, really just clearing certain fluids from lymph nodes. Um, we call it like opening the thoracic inlet. We have that large lymphatic duct in, in the middle, in the core middle of our body that sometimes can get plugged. And so it's just a variety of techniques that will literally blow your mind. Some of it, some people would, would not consider as helpful as other techniques, but that's what I was sort of exposed to in medical school. When I met this chiropractor, he chiropractors mostly do adjustments. That's their core sort of go-to treatment. Most of them, not all of them, but that's what he sort of exposed me to. And I remember he told me like, it would be just so cool if you just went to DO school, right? You can do both. You can mm-hmm. give a patient an infection and prescribe them ibuprofen for their back pain, but also you can actually like physically readjust their vertebrae back into where it should be, right? And guess what? Like it helps, you know, people go to chiropractors for back pain. People go to mm-hmm. physical therapists for back pain too. But when you go to an MD doctor and no offense to, to MDs, mm-hmm. but MDs are, since they're not trained in osteopathic techniques, they can only do so much as to provide you with medication that will help reduce that inflammation, help reduce your pain, but also refer you out eventually yeah. for physical therapy or perhaps even surgery, but mm-hmm. physical therapy first or chiropractic care, et cetera, um, before you consider other more invasive interventions. When I got into medical school, our first week, we learned about osteopathic medicine in a sense where the history of it and what, in general, what each technique does. And it goes so far into the physiology of it. Like, um, for those of you who eventually studle muscular anatomy, there is like those, um, the muscle, muscular spindles and all these other different names for all of those anatomy. I forgot the, the terms, but... Um, there's just different nerves and nerve endings and everything that's interconnected in a muscle that we learn about that eventually is healing when we manipulate it as osteopaths. I'll I'll just say that. And so every week, or I would say not every week, but every month we were exposed to learning about different regions of the body. So we would start with legs or lower extremities. We would learn about techniques on how to adjust the ankle obviously also to how to diagnose um, certain conditions like a sprain, strain, fracture, and then how to treat plantar fasciitis, how to articulate a joint, pop a knee back into place, that those sort of things. And then we'd move on to upper extremities, like how to pop a nurse's elbow or how to fix certain like rheumatoid arthritis or patients who come in with carpal tunnel pain. We learned how to really learn how to diagnose that, obviously, but also how to treat it. There are certain techniques that we can do um, when it comes to that. And then eventually moved on to the head, learned our lymphatic techniques. For me, my go-to treatments 
that I felt the most comfortable doing was the lower back and the hips, mm -hmm. the pelvis region. And, and this goes so far as to also, that includes treating pregnant women. So we actually know certain techniques that can help alleviate the pains that come with pregnancy down there. And also, you know, women who are pregnant will have back pain, so we can fix that too. Um, of course, with considering, you know, the, the baby as well, yeah. making sure that we're not yeah. leaving the process. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, you know, with MDs, we do do a lot of referring out for those things. But I've had actually some friends that are now taking extra courses to learn some manipulations of certain things too. So I think it's becoming more integrated as well, not within medical school, but this is something that a doctor can pursue after. But it's neat that you guys learn something different aside from all the other stuff that the MD schools are learning anyhow, all the science and all that stuff. So um, now that you're, you finished medical school, so you guys know Bianca, this is her fourth year, so she is done. <laughs> And um, I know from what I learned from other DO students is that, you know, and you mentioned you had, you did it as well to become more competitive with residency is you guys take your own clinical, we call it stuff, but your clinical exams. And then in addition, you guys also took the MD ones as well. And is that what most students do or only, because I know that some people who are going into primary care might not do it. It's more the fields that are more competitive or is it mostly all students still do it? I would say most students still do it because okay. of the fear of not matching because okay. there's only so many positions, right, in the United States and so much more applicants, you know, and I knew I wanted to get into primary care and I knew it wouldn't be as competitive, but I still wanted to increase my chances mm -hmm. just because, and I'll just say this is because I have matched but I had this sort of PTSD when I was applying for medical school because I applied to so many schools and I only got one interview. Mm -hmm. And I was just scrambling to just get one interview. I got it and I got in, but it was it was sort of a traumatic experience because it was my second cycle. Yeah. And I was like, what am I going to do if I don't get in? Mm -hmm. And so I unexpectedly got in. So I didn't want to repeat that. I didn't want to. I didn't want that to happen to me ever again. <laughs> and clearly it didn't. I was more than okay. I, I got about 28 interviews across the Pacific Northwest. Um, but in the long run, I would say that, yes, most students, most DO students will take step one, step two, level one, complex level one, and complex level two. They're both about the same. It's just the way that the, the questions are are written are a little bit different. I would say complex was a little bit more vague for me, whereas step was more detailed in, in the, the questions that we received. But I, I think that now that things have changed with the recent merge mm -hmm. and the recent switch from um, having a, a numerical score in step one and level one to now it being pass, no pass, things are going to really change. And I don't think a lot of students are going to end up taking both uh, level one and step one because it's only pass, no pass. When did that change happen? So that actually happened the year after we took our board exams. So 2022, during COVID? I Oh, during COVID. During COVID. Like. So there's not going to be an actual number anymore for the step exams. Either you pass or you don't. Wow. Yes. 
for level one. Oh, for level one only. No, no, sorry. Step one. Either for step one or or level one. It's pass or no pass. Oh, either one. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Oh, Mm -hmm. that's that's nice. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Yes. Guys, medical school is... It's stressful. There's a lot of work. It's your nonstop. And this is just other exams you have to do as part of the process. So, and the number was always such a huge focus. So it's really nice. And I'm glad they're doing that, that it's just becoming a pass no pass because it's unnecessary extra stress. (laughs) All right, Bianca. So congratulations and tell us what you matched into and where you're going for residency. So I matched into family medicine at Mm -hmm. Kaiser Permanente Napa Solano here in Vallejo. And it was my number one choice. And I'm excited. I start mid-June and I I can't wait. It's that's so neat. Talk about a full circle. You were born in Kaiser and going back. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Going back. Oh, that's so neat. All right. So before we wrap up, if you if you want to give any last piece of advice to any of our listeners or things that you wish you would have known when you were either in high school or in college about this process and any last piece of advice that you want to share. I think that if you're passionate about it, if you're in a place right now where you feel like you're not good enough, your MCAT score is not good enough, your scores aren't good enough, your grades aren't good enough, newsflash, there's always room for improvement. And no test score ever will ever define what kind of physician you'll be. You know, I was told from the beginning, like, oh, your MCAT score should be great, because that's going to coincide with what your your board exam scores will be. And newsflash, my board exam scores were a lot higher than my MCAT score. Okay. So I wasn't a part of that percentage of of people who who they were referring to. So just go for it. Go for your dreams. Don't give up. Also research, 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 look into outside clinical experiences that you can expose yourself to as much as possible to really realize that this is exactly what you want to do for the rest of your life. Because once you get in medical school, you start hitting that the ground running. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't really have time to think about that. You just need to get through it and learn as much as possible and succeed, you know? And so I, I wish all of my listeners the best. And if there's any additional mentoring I can do for anyone, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, I'll maybe have you provide them my personal email address and we can connect. That would be wonderful. We actually um, last year launched and this will be our second year where we're doing a mentorship application program. So this is for pre-meds who are ready to apply, took their MCAT and we're actually helping them from day one of starting that entire application process and coaching them through it. So yeah, we could use you for that. So (laughs) again, thank you so much. Thanks everyone for listening. Check out our mentorship coaching program. If you're ready to apply to medical school, you can apply online at one of our social websites or at www.futureminoritydoctor.com. And as always, good luck with everything and check us out next time. Peace and love. Oh, 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 oh